podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Tour Report from Secret Golf. Well, this week the PGA Tour is back after another break. Sanderson Farms Championship in the FedEx Cup Fall. We will do our Tour Report. We'll preview the tournament. We'll look at the course. We'll give you our top picks. But before we do that show, we have to do our Ryder Cup reaction show. Elk, it was a victory for Team Europe at Marco Simone in Italy. And I was ecstatic on Sunday. I have to say I was a little bit nervous in the run-up to the finale um, when Fleetwood obviously won the Cup for Europe. But... It was just a tremendous display of golf on home soil for Luke Donald's team. Yes, Diane, congratulations to Team Europe. I know how important uh, the Ryder Cup is to you. I don't even know where to start about the Ryder Cup. You know, there's so many things happened uh, on Sunday, you know, Saturday. You know, the Europeans got out to an incredible lead. They played so well in their team matches. Why did they do that? You know, we were told a hundred times it was all to do with the data. Mm-hmm. And the the rough setup and the pairings and the inspirational messages and all these things. And look, the Europeans, they love it. They love the Ryder Cup. It's a huge advantage to play on home soil. But at the end, Diane, the shot that Fleetwood hit at 16 playing against Ricky Fowler after Ricky Fowler hit it in the water, finished up making, you know, a birdie was given to him by Ricky to seal the point, to win the match, followed by... Uh, Lowry, Steve Lowry, out of the bunker, like a 40-yard bunker shot behind him to to Gimme, was just two of the most incredible shots that I'd seen in a long time. Of course, Ram and Rory, they were put out first to to hold hold everything together, boys, because the Americans are probably going to come on Sunday, and which they did, and when they knew that. So it was all very scripted, felt like, from Europe's point of view, meaning get out to the good start, Hang on in the middle and then just close them with the with the last few matches to win that to win the cup. Well, they couldn't have got all to a better start on Friday. And in session one, the foursomes alternate shot going four and zero, which you know, breaking records, obviously, and just really showed that the Europeans meant business. It had been 30 years since the US had won the Ryder Cup on European soil. And we had talked about on our tour report that getting off to that hot start was going to be key. Now, we had said it was going to be key for the Europeans weeks ago because on paper, before Victor Hovland went and obviously tore up the FedEx Cup, they looked like the weaker side. And we knew that they were going to have to start strong. But as we reached the beginning of the Ryder Cup, The tables kind of turned a little bit. Europeans became the Vegas favourites and they couldn't have started any better. Well, it was sort of clear as the tournament went along because Paul Azinger said it almost every 20 minutes that the Europeans had set up the course to take away the American strengths. You know, all of a sudden we were seeing these sort of drivable par fours everywhere and long par threes. And we kept being told that the Europeans felt like from data that they had the advantage in those two categories. No wedge shots for the Americans. Um, it was just, uh, you know, surreal watching the Europeans plan play out, Diane. Of course, your your home player, uh, Robert McIntyre, became undefeated, and he was considered the weakest link of anyone. But um, we said it, Diane, the first match out, which was uh, Scotty Scheffler and 
Sam Burns, we said they took the worst putter on on the American team and put him with the worst hitter, and they combined for a no-hitter, basically. They got wiped out, and that sort of set the tone. And it was a it was a cascade effect. Uh, you know, I you know those guys that wear those little whoop things on their arms, you know, that tells them how much uh, heartbeat they got going, and they, they, they track a bunch of things. I don't have one, so I don't know what it does. But I wanted to ask this question. I'll ask it on this show. When Scheffler and Kepka got beat nine and seven, I want to see if the heartbeat was was higher then than it would have been when Scheffler was playing Ram down the last hole to try to get a half point. I think there's more anxiety in the, in the first uh, scenario I just said. Well, the way that Scotty and Brooks played to lose nine and seven, it's like their heart just stopped. I mean, it was wild. That was, I mean, but I've heard so much reaction and we could we could do this show for hours. Um, and so much of the reaction has been what the US team did wrong. But you can't take anything away from the fact that the European side all played with their hearts on their sleeves. They played Amazing. Victor Hovland was sensational. Ludwig Eberg playing in his first, I mean, he'd never played in a major. This was his Ryder Cup debut. The first big stage he'd ever played on. And he absolutely rose to the challenge and looked like he'd been playing out there for years. I mean, the European team, Rory had his best Ryder Cup performance. John Ram was outstanding, especially on Saturday. You can't take anything away. Matthew Fitzpatrick couldn't miss a putt on Saturday. Rory just had to stand back and be like, go for it. Um, so Aper, think- uh, showed up playing with Hovland. Yeah. Hovland, you know, as much as Rory's sort of the heartbeat of the team and Ram, but I think really the the dangerous person on the team for Europe was Hovland. Yeah. To me, Hovland was the heartbeat of the team that she didn't say anything, didn't have to. And that's always the that's always the case when you have someone that they rally around. I mean, when Hovland and Aberg went out and they started winning, that just to me, you know, you expect Rory to win his matches. You expect Ram to to hold on and do what they got to do. But Hovland, to me, this this year was the difference maker, Diane. And you know, they they say what what could the Americans done better? I'm not going to sit here and and um, criticize Zach Johnson. He had 12 good players on his team. Could he have? Done some better pairings, probably. I mean, that's if you just wanted to say, well, what was one big criticism? I would say some of the pairings weren't as good as they could have been. There were some guys that were inside that should have been on the golf course. So, you know, in the end of the day, it only came down to a couple of points and it looked like it was a whitewash completely the whole week. America was never in it. We had a bit of drama on Saturday with Joe LaCava, who... Long time, very, very famous, respected caddy out there. Fred Couples with Tiger Woods, now with Patrick Cantley. And there was this kind of hat controversy with Patrick Cantley that turns out was a made-up story and that he wasn't playing in a hat because he believed that he should be getting paid to compete in the Ryder Cup. So whenever he was on the course doing anything, the fans were taunting him by waving their hats. Um he played great on Saturday, birdied 16, 17, and 18. And the US team, to really get behind him and show support, they were waving or pretending to, to wave hats. Um, Joel Acava took off his hat, was walking around the green waving it. I want to get your take on this, just because it has been such a, a big talking point. Rory got mad at him. It 
boiled over with Shane Lowry and Justin Rose and then it boiled over further to the parking lot outside the clubhouse when Rory was leaving on Saturday night and was visibly very emotional and angry about it. Um, what what do you make of the whole controversy and Joe LaCava in particular? Can't quite tell because I wasn't there, meaning that I'm not avoiding your question. I just don't know what was said before. You know, they've been screaming at... Uh, at Patrick Campbell all day, the Europeans that have and doing some singing up songs and all kinds of stuff, which is which is what they do. And I mean, Rory said it after the Ryder Cup that you know you've got to be you've got to have thick skin to play the Ryder Cup. Well, he didn't really show thick skin by you know going berserk up in the parking lot hours later after the matches. So I just think it's the Ryder Cup. I mean, it makes it better, Diane, with a little controversy. Joe LaCava should never. For that matter, any caddy get in amongst the players while they're playing at all. If he's on the side of the green, he's waving his hat. Okay, fine. But I don't know what led up to it. Was there something said during the day? I know Zach Johnson told Joe LaCava, you're forbidden to talk to the media. So maybe we won't, we won't ever find out. Or we, I probably will eventually, But and I'll report it back to you, and I'll... <laughs> I'll let you know if uh, you're going to say anything about it. When um, when we first saw it and there was the kind of like focused shot of Rory and Joe on the green, it, I mean, it looked, it didn't look great, but it didn't look terrible. But it's when the wide shots came out later and you saw Joe celebrating with his hat for quite a long period of time on the green and making quite a big walk over towards Rory where he was getting ready to line up his putt and get things going. Um, so the wide angle did no favours for Team USA and Joe LaCava whatsoever. Um, but then I came away from Saturday feeling happy that we had a little bit of drama and a bit of controversy heading into Sunday. I didn't want Sunday to be, I wanted Europe to win, obviously. I didn't want it to be a boring day. I wanted it to be a day where we were looking at matches 9, 10, 11 to see what was happening. And this kind of helped. It added a little bit of fuel to the US team. We saw an emotional Rory. We didn't know how he was going to react and, and what impact that was going to have on him. But it spiced things up when we needed it. Yeah, there was a lot of emotion. I mean, the Amer the European crowd was focused on Cantlay. They followed him all around on Sunday. Um, they really were able to just focus their attention of dislikeness to Cantlay. And then after it was all over, when Cantlay did his press conference, he came off as charming and funny. And the European writers were like, oh, this guy's not so bad after all. He's getting married tomorrow. He's charming yeah. in the press conference. So you never know. I mean, Obviously, Cantlay is very stoic when he plays, and he doesn't look like he's sort of, I don't know. I mean, he looks very robotic. I would even say that, you know, he's not free-flowing like someone like Rory um, is. But too much one way and not enough the other way. You know, at the end of the day, it was good, good, good theatre, Diane. I don't like negative stories that come out that aren't true. Uh, Rory McIlroy played the Olympics without a hat. Remember, he couldn't find a hat. And there was talk that they he he wanted to wear his Nike hat in the Olympics and and all this stuff about hats. I I really didn't even get into the whole hat thing. The um the storyline of Patrick Antley saying the hat simply didn't fit has to be rubbish. Like, are you telling well, me? He used, that? He used Rory's line from Japan. He his he couldn't get a hat small enough in Japan, so it's right. a good line. 
that also like yeah okay so maybe he was kind of feeding into Rory's um, line that he had made when he was in the Olympics but you're telling me that is it Ralph Lauren or Polo did their hats that they would not be able to make one for him <laughs> that they said like they have two years to get this organized we knew Patrick Cantley was going to be part of the team like that to me was a terrible excuse I think that um, he was getting married in Italy on Monday I think he didn't want a tan line. Maybe he just wanted his his hair and his forehead to be looking good for the wedding pictures. <laughs> Maybe so. And, you know, all this talk about money, uh, Diane, it all has sort of a trickle-down effect. Patrick Cantley's on the board, is, is of, I believe, of the, of the tour. So he's well involved in what's going on over there with Liv and everything else. A lot of this has to fall on the tour because Monaghan and the tour have sort of created this scenario for themselves. They... Zach Johnson sort of said, I didn't really um, I didn't really consider the live players for this tournament. A lot of people on my side, they were around here, they said, well, Bryson should be playing. Dustin Johnson should be playing. A lot of people were saying, you know, JT shouldn't have been picked and Sam Burns shouldn't have been picked. There was a lot of, lot of that talk. And will it even matter in six months from now if these two tours get together and they, and they, have, a, they have events on either side? Will it, will it even have mattered? Some of these players... I'm not going to speak for any of them because they they talked about they want more money. Well, the reason they want more money is they see Brooks Kepka went over and signed for all this money. Uh, a lot of that has to do with, you know, starting a new tour. Now these two players are saying, where do I get my money? And they don't really deserve it. But the other guys got their money. So it's all sort of mixed up, Diane. It's all shook up. Mm -hmm. The Europeans aren't thinking that way. They're... Yeah. They're thinking about their little town they're from. When I when I think about the Ryder Cup, I think about the after when if Hovland goes back to Norway, how big are that that's going to be? How big is Robert McIntyre when he goes back to that town of Oban? I mean, yeah. there's going to be some Oban drunk uh, <laughs> in Scotland and Shane Lowry when he goes back. I mean, all these little towns pull them back in at, to the bosom of the whole part of the Ryder Cup, Diane, they just love it so much. And that's what they were playing for. And that's that's a guy that's hard to beat. You can take the data all you want, yeah. but that factor at the end is is the is the is the game changer. We uh, I saw a great picture. Robert McIntyre had flown all of his family and friends out. He paid for their flights, paid for their accommodation, and then flew back with them on this uh, budget airline to Scotland, which just sums him up. But is this not always the case that surrounding the US team, there's always so much noise in the background and so much drama and it's like the we always talk about the camaraderie of the European team and how they just almost lay low they kind of stay under the radar they're not involved in this excess drama yeah the Rory thing on Saturday night obviously was but there's always storylines around the US team um, and one that's come out over the last couple of days was Xander Shoffley and his dad was talking to European media and talking about the fact that they had to get their lawyers involved and days before everything was supposed to be signed sealed and delivered Xander was not going to be on the team um, he didn't want Netflix to be filming them in the locker room. The argument about money. Um, I mean, why is his dad coming out and saying all this during the Ryder Cup? So there's, there just seems to be always these external factors around the US team that distract from what it's all about. And these 12 guys and the captain and the vice captains banding together and just working as a unit. 
I will say on Xander's defense that he says in writing that he said, disregard anything my father says in the media. So <laughs> that's 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 good. But you know, the oh. European players, you know, talk about Sevi. They had Sevi in the locker room and they showed videos of Sevi. And when I start to think about the Ryder Cup and I think about sort of I don't want to say um, underachievers or smaller players, but I start to think about Sam Torrance, what he did at the Belfry, uh, Paul McGinley. Some of these guys that aren't as bigger names as some of the others, Bernard Langer, of course, is huge, uh, Sandy Lyle, you know, all these guys. Jose Maria was there kind of uh, almost as a, a partner to Victor Hovland, just going to events with him. <laughs> it was easy for Europe, in my mind at least, to – take the pressure off because they're all following what these guys, I mean, Justin Rose said it, said it so eloquently at the presser about why why they think they do so well. Europe now is set up really well for future Ryder Cups. I was the first one that told you your team was suffering always through the year. And then all of a sudden at the end, it got tons better at the end. We saw Aberg come in there. We saw McIntyre playing good. We, this golf course was set up a particular way. Just uh, we saw uh, Luke Donald prepare his team and get them organized. We saw some some pairing. We didn't see when Rory McIlroy about two weeks ago said he'll be playing with Shane Lowry in these matches. And when that didn't happen, I knew who was in charge, and that was Luke Donald. Yeah. You know, the best captains, when we had Peter Thompson captain us when we won the President's Cup in Australia, he said to us, you guys, don't worry about the pairings. I'll take care of that. You guys just get your game organized. Yeah. Okay. Well, things are definitely looking very bright in the uh, Team Europe locker room. I heard Colt Nost, who's been a, a longtime friend of yours, Secret Golf contributor. I heard him on the radio this morning talking about the vice captains for each side and just how different they were and how the US team really needs to get it together. And they were talking about, you know, kind of get rid of the old guys. Um, but if you look at, they had the Molinari brothers on the European side. Italians, and um, Francesco Molinari, still very relevant. His brother, Eduardo, is a stat genius. So he was really, that was his role, was making sure that they had all their stats completely nailed. And then Nicholas Colsarts, who, okay, has had a decent career. He's not like one of those, you know landmark names to come from Europe, but played in a Ryder Cup. He was out on the first tee every single morning. First guy there, interacting with the crowd, getting them all fired up. Obviously, it was on home soil, so the crowd was very much for Team Europe um, when you look at the, the split over the noise for each side. But he was out there. So they all had like a very distinct role. And... Colt had said, you know, say Tiger is going to be, you know, imagine he is captain for the next Ryder Cup at Bethpage. Who, who are going to be the vice captains? Like, surely we have to get some young blood in there that will really help pull these guys together. And there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, the, 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 the criticism that the U.S. team has always had is it's the same captains vice captains i didn't even see i didn't even see a picture of steve stricker i did not even see a picture of uh stuart sink i saw freddie couples come on the green a couple times i saw yeah. davis love in the background but they're the same guys yeah. they did they did it at whistling they did it in australia they did five other president's cups together i mean it's like it's a closed shop and it, and that goes back to the tour diane is it a closed shop well yeah it is a closed shop it's time to move on let's let's get some new action in there 
but they have such a young team. There, there's so much talent on that US side. You know, young young guys, Scheffler, Burns. I mean, even JT and Jordan are like the kind of more experienced older guys on the team. That's how young it is. Um, you know, so you have like such a, a breadth of talent. Kevin Kisner would be a great vice captain. You know, Webb Simpson. There's a lot of guys on the tour that have been out there for a long, long time who are like late 30s, early 40s, who still pal about with these guys, are extremely well respected and would just add a breath of fresh air. Yeah, they've got time to think, Diane. I mean, it's going to Beth Page. We know it's going to be a noisy place up there, but it won't be as noisy as Europe. No, nobody can. They keep saying, oh, wait until we get to Beth Page. They're going to be screaming. They're going to be yelling out, you know. No, no. Europe is much more organized with their chanting, with their songs. They make up songs right on the spot. Like to poor Scotty Scheffler, we saw you cry on the telly. They were all singing it. I mean, 30,000 people were singing. I saw you I saw you crying on the telly. I mean, they're brutal over there. But they're but the, the hardest thing about them is they're organized. They all do the same thing. So well, and that's it's just tough. part of it. Like it's the, tough. Yeah. The, the fans out there, this is just part of it now. And it has to, I mean, I heard them talking on the radio about that, saying that the crowd definitely helped Team Europe and were a detrimental factor to the US side. But I mean, this is why we have it flip-flopping on venues every two years, because the fans obviously get so involved and they're so passionate about the Ryder Cup. They're right there. You know, they're the the crowds on TV at Marco Simone were outrageous. And of course you're going to hear them. You know, it's like, it's not like a regular event. It's not like a major. Um, so yes, the fans are always going to be a factor. My friend, my neighbor was there. Uh, he was pulling for the American team with his wife. They went over to, uh, to, to watch the tournament when they went on Saturday and they were getting drummed. America was getting drummed. And they said the crowd was awesome. Yay. They said they were nice. They had all their American gear on and they were nice to them. They didn't hear one bad word said to them. They just, they just, it was incredible. They said, listening to these songs they were singing and, and just getting behind their team. So that was nice to hear. Yeah. And when I was at the Ryder Cup two years ago, it was still during COVID time. So there was hardly any European fans there, any European fans that were there, you know, pretty much lived in the US at the time. So we were completely outnumbered. Obviously, it was a whitewash result uh, for the Americans then. But the atmosphere was so good. Like it was friendly banter. And, it, you know, that that's how it is. It's it's golf. And Maybe they should, for Beth Page, show your passport to buy a ticket and just keep all the euros out and just sell it to <laughs> the Americans. So mean. <laughs> All right. Well, all in all, a fantastic Ryder Cup. It gave us everything we wanted, you know, record-breaking action. There was petty drama. <laughs> and really, you know, it came down and, and almost went the distance. Here's one question for you, though. If you were Ricky Fowler, were you conceding that birdie putt to Tommy Fleetwood? There's no way. I mean, no way. as soon as the tournament was over, Sam and I went and played a President's Cup match. I was America and no, I was Australia and he was America. Yeah. And we finished up having the match um, <laughs> half point each on Sunday afternoon, Diane. We came back and had a beer together. It was a great day for us. But we he had a two and a half footer on the last hole that I made him putt for <laughs> just a father and a son. So there's no way I'm giving that putt away. I don't know if Ricky knew that that was going to seal a half point. I think he was in shock. 
he might not have realized that all that was going on. He should have, but I'm yeah. not sure he did, honestly. Yeah, I wanted to see. It was Tommy actually his, he should have just let Tommy putt it. I mean, yeah. sorry, mark it. And then it was his putt to, to putt. Mm-hmm. He had to putt it. He could have putted his putt, made it, and then even decided whether he was going to give it to him or not. But he, 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 he lost his brain there for a split second. And also for Tommy, I don't know, I wanted to see Tommy make it just for the moment of the ball, you know, sinking yeah. and being like, here we go. We want it. Yeah. Um, I know you did. I know yeah. you did. And then there was a guy that ran and jumped in the lake and they let him go. It was great. I was this like older guy, super well-dressed, white button-down shirt. And that run, I was like, oh my God, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then... Why not? <laughs> he didn't even jump. I saw a video on Instagram three hours after the golf was finished. They showed a picture of the tent from way off and they were still in there singing songs back, back in three hours later. Well, apparently Terrell Hatton was the last man standing, which I'm sure will surprise nobody. <laughs> I would put Hatton and Lowry as the two guys propping up the bar at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, Hatton played some good golf too. He uh, he he's a he's a straight hitter, and yes, he's got a, a quick fuse, but it's sort of built for match play. So yeah. if I was thinking about playing Hatton, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough tough chest yeah okay all right brilliant Ryder Cup we love it every two years and as we said Beth Page Black in two years time which is going to be well I mean we're going to be talking about that for a long time in the run-up but the PGA Tour is back this week with the Sanderson Farms Championship a lot going on right now six events left in this FedEx Cup fall and we will give you our tour report with our full preview and all of our picks Sports Social Podcast Network.